love the chatter, and this is a big part, obviously, of what we do, so I always hate the responsibility of, like, breaking it up, you know what I'm saying? And then there's, like, we got a little bit of work to do as well, you know, so got to balance that out, but it's great to have you here, and if you're new or visiting, my name is Drew, would love to meet you, wearing multiple hats this morning, but it's just great to have you guys here and hanging out, and I am, I'm excited, I know I say that a lot, but I am excited about this morning. We have been, since, like, since Easter, Easter Tide has been a season for us where we have been really kind of pressing into this idea, and it's really a spiritual practice that Christians have practiced for many years, the practice of hospitality. And uh, this is something I'm passionate about, something that has been, I, I think even this spring, has really reinvigorated. Is that a word? That's a word. Sure, yeah. You know, it's a, yeah. Um, my, my own life. And just thinking about, one, Jesus' mission, two, the mission of the church, and as well, we're going to think, talk about another layer of hospitality that's going to be really helpful for us this morning. Um, one of the things I keep thinking as we've been talking about the posture of our lives towards the world around us, and then even the mission of the church together, is that maybe it isn't rocket science, right? Like, maybe this... this you know, I know like business strategies in the church and like dreaming and scheming and I, there's maybe a place for that. But I just think like even post-COVID in our post-COVID moments, maybe Jesus' mission of eating and drinking and opening up his life to the people around him is actually the way in which we're called to live. And it's actually more simple than we could imagine. I just know that I've been drawn back to this idea over. Maybe it's more simple. And so we started just by talking about how our lives shared with other people on the outside is actually a beautiful strategy for this thing we call evangelism. That we have really at times made it daunting within the church. Uh, some of you grew up maybe in a culture, uh, I grew up in a very healthy church, but there was a culture around that that was kind of scary around evangelism. You know what I'm saying? Anybody else there with me? Okay, anybody else in therapy? That's good. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Um, and then you read the life of Jesus and you just begin to see that his strategy was going from table to table, opening up his life. And so we just talked about how as we open our lives up to other people around us, that this actually starts with the posture of us as Jesus followers being love and light in our world and opening our lives up and eating with others. Hospitality is actually a core practice in the life of Jesus. I always tell people, read uh, Tim Chester's book, A Meal with Jesus, and he just basically says, listen, if you follow Jesus, especially through the Gospel of Luke, his mission strategy was to eat with people. And so we started there about just opening our lives up. We heard some stories through Alpha. We heard um, some voices come in kind of via video just to share different, I think, important ideas and concepts. And again, coming back to this. Then we turned kind of uh, the other way and talked about the priority of the church together. That hospitality together is actually the way the church enacted. And if you know, we've been talking about this for years, the Lord's Supper, which we did this morning and kind of distilled down into kind of something smaller, was always a meal in homes together. That the church actually never gathered apart from having a meal together. Now that's changed, and I'm not saying we need to go back to every time we gather together, we have to have like a potluck. But there was this sense in the early community, if you excavate the early Greco-Roman homes and the problems in Corinth and all that's going on, this was a thing that the Lord's Supper was a communal meal together. And I know we've gotten to where we are in most context where it has kind of got down to, into little elements, and that's beautiful and wonderful, and there's a story there that we can talk about at some point. But the main idea for us has been, can we be this community that eats together as a way of worship, right? 
That hospitality is, yes, our, our lives postured to the people around us on the outside, but as well caring for each other, that something happens when we're hospitable, that it's way better than getting somebody to sign up on a clipboard to serve in a church ministry, and I'm all for that, we have that, and maybe a clipboard will come your way someday. But even better and more beautiful is that we're all kind of hosts, we're all these people that embody the way of Jesus, and the church together is hospitable. You know, a few years ago, and you've probably heard me talk about this, but a few years ago I heard, you know, a leader and author on Twitter, um, he tweeted out this. My grandpa would be rolling over in his grave if he heard me use the word tweeted. You know what I'm saying? It's just a weird world we live in, but it's a thing. He says this, uh, this one Christian leader. He said, church leaders, so he's talking to pastor people like me. He said, the greet your neighbor portion of a worship service does not follow the golden rule. Nobody wants to be treated that way. That's what he said. His premise is, is like, yo, like, you know, the whole awkward and any introverts in the house? Come on. So so, when I, when we turn around at four minutes of family and we do this, I still, still feel the tension inside of me a little bit because I am more introverted. You all know I married somebody that is extremely externally extroverted and she carries the load, which is amazing for us. I'm a, I'm an introvert by nature. I always joke that if I were to go to a church, I would sit in the back row. I would suss things out. You remember when churches used to pass around like information cards? I would not give my information to a church. I empathize with you. I'm just like, that makes me a little scary. That's scary, a little scary for me. But at anyways, at any rate, this guy was basically saying, listen, don't do that to people. Don't do that in the church gathering. His dad, who is a prominent church leader for years in the reform movement, basically went on and responded to the tweet, because that's what you do, this is Twitter, responded to his tweet and said this, right, he said, yeah, that's right, here's what we did for 33 years. This, this dad, I was actually the dad of this guy, had been pastoring a church. He said, this is what we did for 33 years. Come on the lookout for God and leave on the lookout for people. Now, I want, this is important, this, and I'm not this slinging mud, you know me, I'm, not, I'm actually not confrontational at all, but this is actually very, very important, because basically this was an affirmation that the whole greet your neighbor thing in church doesn't need to be done, mainly because our gatherings are for God, not for people, that's what they were saying. And while, listen, I have a tremendous amount of respect for these guys, and they've written books and done a number of wonderful things for the kingdom, I want to actually very much pu- push back on that idea that we simply come to church for God, right? That may sound crazy, but I actually think part of the call in being hospitable is that we experience God life together. Because these statements right here, they sound really spiritual, these tweets, but something's missing, right? The fact is our worship as a church as it goes like horizontally, cannot be dislocated from our love for neighbor. And you can't read the New Testament, you can't read the early church letters and escape this, that the way we experience God together is actually uh, kind of horizontally as well. When we come on the lookout for God, I hope you come to our gatherings on the lookout for God, it has to create within us a sincere looking out for our brothers and sisters. And somehow along the way, we've created churches in the name of worship, where people kind of come in and sit forward for an hour and go home, and we go, we were on the lookout for God. And I go, no, no, we want to continually, yes, we're on the lookout for God. Yes, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, all of that. Yes, teaching, we're going to open up the scriptures for a couple minutes. All of that I'm into, we're into. But we're missing something, I really believe it, when we kind of create this kind of over-spiritual idea that 
we can't turn our chairs to one another. And this is coming from the ultimate introvert, okay? You, you with me? This is a stretch for me, but you can't escape this in the New, New Testament. And so, that's all to say, the focus on the outside and our mission is hospitality, opening our lives. Our, our drawing in towards each other as the church is being hospitable. And yes, we come to our gatherings on the lookout for God, but the thing I've learned over the last decade is oftentimes we find, and some of you will nod to this, we find even the presence of God in very unique spaces. Can't tell you how many people, it's like, the worship is banging and so good, and you know, the, the preacher's just amazing, right? Right? You're like, no, okay, all right. Um, and that none of that, you know, like that matters, but it's not, it's not as important as some of you have experienced like life with somebody else or sharing your burdens and the things that you're walking through and finding that in community because you've been hospitable and opening your life up. So one of my goals is, is I, I always, this is what I think, and this is just maybe not gospel truth, but more Drew Fess. I do feel like my hope is if you were to go to another community or visit another community, you would feel it if the church wasn't hospitable. You know, people ask me all the time, and I've totally switched in the last few years. They'll say, tell me about your church, and you know what I don't talk about? I don't talk about the music, or the t- uh, none of that. I talk about the people of God and what God's doing amongst his people. And this is what hospitality is all about. This is what the church is all about. And by the way, I was looking through some old video and pictures of like the youth ministry days 15 years ago. Things, those things, Kev, Kev and I were like documentary people and like creating like motion pictures that you just, if you could only see them for our youth group, you would just, we should have a screening night here, I think. Some of those maybe we should evaluate it in our, in our moment right now before showing other people. But, um, you know, this is going to change, right? Everything around you is, it's going to, ch- like, the method will, will change, but it's the people. And so, you know, one thing Alan Kreider said, uh, we were looking at this a couple weeks ago. He's a historian and scholar. He said one of the marks of the early church is they actually allow, and this, I've, I've not been able to sleep in a good way since kind of engaging this. He talks and gives examples that the early church allowed people to leave the church. That actually early on, as Christianity exploded across the Roman Empire from this little sect in, of kind of sorting itself out from Judaism and these people that believe the resurrection of Jesus moving in homes, that they actually did not compel belief. They weren't, like, hunting people down in the empire if people left, you know, as far as, like, leaving the church. And I think that actually says something because not only am I on this journey and are we on this journey of seeing hospitality for the world as our mission and eating and drinking with people, not only is it key and central to our gathering as the church, but there's something to be said about hospitality for people who walk away. There's something, you know, we're, and I don't want to beat a dead horse here because I know there's been lots of talk about deconstruction. But I'm actually really, my eyes, my imagination have been opened to Jesus in his ministry around those who are deconstructing and walking away and how hospitality actually fits into that. We're going to go fairly quick. Open up to Matthew, sorry, Luke 24, if you want with me. There is a story that I think fits in in the Gospels to this idea of hospitality for those who are disillusioned, walking away from the kingdom of God. We see this a lot in our moment. I mean, and it's, it's painful, guys. You know this. If you know anything about what's kind of going on in, in the church right now, there is a lot going on week to week as far as stories that are just gut-wrenching as far as what's happening within the church. 
And there's a lot of disillusionment. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of suffering in this. And yet, what's fascinating about Jesus is he meets people where they are. So this is a story right after resurrection. We often, often speak of the story at, at Easter. Uh, this is how it goes. Now, that same day, two of them, and these were disciples of Jesus, by the way, were going to a village outside of Jerusalem called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, and by the way, what are they talking about? They're talking about the reality that Jesus is in a tomb, right? They're talking about these things. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. So think about this. These, these people are leaving Jerusalem. They're heartbroken because they have given their life to the Messiah. This promise of an eternal kingdom and he's in the tomb. And so they're leaving town, literally leaving town, um, disillusioned, broken, upset that this has happened. So Jesus comes along, he asks them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? I just love Jesus, just think about that, right? They stood still, they faced down, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one who's been here through Passover, right? Visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days. What things, Jesus says. I love it. It would be so, so cool to be there. Oh, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed. Before God and all the people, the chief priests and the rulers handed him over and sentenced him to death, and they crucified him. But we, listen to what they say, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. How many, how many people do you know? Like, Head and I have a lot of people over the last you know, number of years that were committed to the way of Jesus, and a lot of broken dreams, right? We had hoped, we had hopes, we had dreams, and now we're, we're walking the other direction. We, we have this hope that he was the one, you know, this almost misplaced hope for these disciples here in the sense of thinking that they knew how the story would unfold. What is more, it's the third day since all this took place, they said. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels, who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but we didn't, we, they did not see Jesus. So he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter the, enter the glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, listen to what Jesus did. He explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So imagine Jesus following them, coming alongside of them. They're heartbroken. What, what are you upset about? He begins to explain to them. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over, so he went in to stay with them. Hang on with me, verse 30. When he was at the table with them, which is not, guys, what is Jesus, always, what is Jesus' mission? eating and drinking. Everywhere you look in Luke, he's at a table with somebody. Here he is again, even after his resurrection. He gave thanks, broke it. So he took the bread, gave thanks, and gave it to them. And then, through that act, their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. Imagine being there for that. And he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were our hearts not burning within us while, we, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Then they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven who 
were assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Now, beautiful story, the road to Emmaus, many of you know. I'm just, I'm fascinated, um, as you can tell, just by Jesus and his mission and how it unfolds. But I also think about the moment we're in, and again, about the disillusionment, about the ease to kind of walk away. There's a lot of things going on in our moment. And even with these people who were disciples, Jesus met them on the road. And I actually think there's a few things we could pull away for the church, for us as the people of God, when we think about people who are leaving Jerusalem as a metaphor. Are you with me? Because a lot of us have people around us like this. And if we model and take on the life of Jesus in our life as the church, we see some things. This, guys, I, you know, like I think this week, like I have degrees, I love theology. This is not rocket science. One, he walked with them. He walked with them. So, and I know it's hard to compare these guys to some of the things that are going on in our moment, but it's fascinating to me that Jesus walked alongside them. And sure, they didn't know who he was, was and there's another, probably another time to talk about maybe the depths of that, but it's just, we got to keep before us that Jesus walked with these disciples in their doubt and as they walked away from Jerusalem, which was the epicenter of everything. And I think it's a call, actually, to remind ourselves that one of the things we're called to do is we are actually, even in the depths of people's doubts and fear and suffering and questioning and walking away, that one of the things that we're actually called to is we're called to walk alongside people. I think we need actually in our moment to enter into a season, I know it's crazy guys with Twitter and social media and uh, an automatic voice, we need to be people that will actually listen. Are you with me? Like there's got to be this call with us because Jesus postured himself amongst this, these disciples leaving town and he simply listened to them. He came alongside them. I, I don't know about you, I hear things all the time where I'm like, oh, it would just be good to give my opinion. Is anybody out there? Anybody? You got an opinion? Anybody? I'm the only one with an opinion in this place. Okay. That bodes well then. All of us have opinions. But I think of Jesus coming alongside these guys and the space that he inhabits as they don't even know who he is. He's walking alongside of them and he simply walks with them. And... I always say, I don't think God is shaking in his metaphorical boots when people have doubts, when they have fear, when they walk away. And I think Jesus puts on display here with some doubters. Their whole world is shattered because of what they thought was going to happen. Many of us know people like that. Maybe you're in this room. Maybe that's kind of your own story. The church is called to walk alongside people. But not only that, what else did he do? He didn't just walk alongside of them. He told the story of God to them. And this can't go unnoticed, you know. I, I just think, like, oftentimes people wonder, well, why do you come around the Bible? And, you know, what's the power in that? Well, I mean, we could talk, talk all day about that. But I also think of just, like, the importance of those of us that follow Jesus embodying the story enough to tell it. I've been thinking a lot about Scripture memory because I grew up in the church and memorized a lot of Scripture when I was a kid, and that was a good thing. And I, I'm not, I'm for that. I think our, we're trying to do that with our kids. And even this morning, the kids will have a lesson and learn scripture. But I think even deeper than that is the importance. And we see it here in the life of Jesus. What does he do? He opens up the story in front of them about the law and the prophets. 
the, the Old Testament story. He opens it up and he begins to share with them and point the Old Testament story towards Jesus of Nazareth as the Messiah. And so, like, not only, not only is the church called to, like, walk alongside people, but one of the things I think we need to embody in a deeper way is understanding the story to be passed on. It doesn't have to be aggressive. It doesn't have to be in people's face. But I actually think one of the things that we're trying to do as a community is, I think everybody should ask this question, and there's no guilt here, okay? No guilt. But could we reflectively back to people tell the story of God? You know, in the deconstruction moment we're in, a lot of people have questions about the Bible, and I know it can seem overwhelming, and there's all sorts of things in there, and it can kind of come back in your face. But Jesus himself went to the scriptures, and we don't know if he had like a, like a scroll in his hand as much as he understood the story and was immersed in it to explain to people, even in their doubt, and even in their walking away, this is what the kingdom is like. The law and the prophets and everything we see in the Old Testament Jesus actually embodies and says, that points to me. And so it's not just about coming alongside people, but it's actually about embodying, about actually practicing and living and knowing in our heads so that it comes out, the larger story of God. No judgment here, okay? I you know I love you. Do you know this? And I was like, I've been like this. You know, I can sit in church services for a long time, but not really be able to tell the, the big story of God. On, almost like on a practical note, I would encourage us it doesn't have to be scripted, but I would encourage you to think through, can we embody what Jesus did here? To say, hey, here are the signposts in the scriptures that point to Jesus. You know, one of the things that I do, and it's not even really apologetically, the question, I, I just throw out a question a lot of times in talking with people, like, how are things going for us, right? And that gets into like, well, I believe from the foundations of the world that there's a story at hand of redemption. God's moving and at work in the world. And I would just encourage all of us to wrestle through that because Jesus himself, you're like, well, I want to be like Jesus. Well, Jesus was immersed in the story of God and pointed people to it. You with me? So he walked alongside people. Huge call for the church just to slow down, settle down, give grace and space, walk with people, to tell the story of God confidently. And then what did he do? You saw it here. What did he do? He ate with them. This is what he did. Something happens, and we've talked lots about this. I'm not going to reteach everything. Something happens over a meal together. What happens as he broke the bread? Their eyes, it says it twice actually, I think in the Greek, their eyes were opened. That simply having a meal in this posture with these deli di uh, delicious, disillusioned, I don't know, disillusioned people, it opened up their eyes as he ate bread and drank with them around the table. And in all the posturing from the church, and I know this happens a lot online and from certain communities, about walking away and like doubt and deconstruction as being really, really, you know, like bad and destructive. I look at Jesus and I go, he had this in his own moment and it's, it's much different. These were disciples of him and it's a different moment in time and place. But the way he postured himself to them Guys, this is what I just, I hope Praxis can be this type of community. Hospitable to the people on the outside. Open up your life. Like, Heather and I love it when there's stuff happening um, hospitality-wise that we don't even know about. I just, you know, sometimes uh, people think, like, the pastor dude should know everything. And it's like, no, we, it's amazing that, like, two years later we hear of things where people are opening up their lives and sharing with each other. 
this hospitable posture towards each other in the church's gathering, but as we walk with people and as we engage people who are disappointed, and honestly, in some ways, rightfully so in our moment, that we would walk alongside, we'd open up and we'd share the story of God, and we would eat with people as a way in showing hospitality to those who have said, I'm out of here. I think this is the best strategy. I don't know about you, this feels like a better strategy than getting a bullhorn or kind of coming to people as though they're bad because of some of the doubts and questions that they have. Maybe this was Jesus, it was Jesus' strategy. Maybe this is the strategy for us as we think about the layers to this, to the world, to our church, to our brothers and sisters, caring for the least of these within our community. And then to those who walk away, hospitality could be the means, the measure in which we say, hey, you know what, whatever you're going, we're not compelling. I love Crider's vision. We're not going to like compel and beg. This is what I love about Praxis. Everything we say here is everything's an invitation. I'm not going to stiff arm you or twist your arm. That's just, that's not, that's not how I'm, I'm wired and I just think as a community how we want to be. And yes, it takes commitment at times and doing things we don't like. There's, there's that posture and there's part of it. But I love Crider's vision that we're not here just to compel everybody. We're here to invite people in. Walk alongside, open up the scriptures, open up the story of God, and eat with our brothers and sisters. And so as we think about, maybe you think, um, as we kind of wind down here, as you think about people in your own life, um, maybe you feel a sense of frustration at times. Like, ah, like why am I, I, sometimes I have this experience, like why in my own deconstruction have I, and even Heather would be like this, been kind of more pointed and oriented back to the kingdom of God? I don't fully know all the answers to that. And so it can be frustrating, but just remember, gentleness and patience, not stiff-arming, we walk alongside. We open up the story of God, and we eat with people. And what eating does and hospitality does is it slows down and gives us time and space to do that. You with me, brothers and sisters? You out there? I believe this is, I mean, we hear this story, the road to Emmaus, all the time. I've preached on this numbers of times, and there's layers to this story, but Jesus walks alongside those who doubt. And so you may be in this room, and that's you. Welcome. Bring your doubts. Bring your fear. Bring it all. That's our, that's our call. Bring it all. We want to create space for that. For some of you, you've been through that. There's more assurance in your life just in the sense of like sorting out your walk with Jesus and the church in your life. I would just say follow Jesus in this way. Follow Jesus in this way. Let's do this. Let's stand up. We're going to close. Normally we come to the table, so it's a little weird, but we're going to close our gathering this morning. And what I'd like to do before we collectively pray this prayer together is just pray for you. Pray for me maybe more than anybody because, well, not pray for me more than anybody, but pray for me too. Because <laughs> um, I, think, I think about the, the pain, the ex- some of the pain experienced in wanting to see people flourish in the kingdom and the disappointment that's come with that at times. And many of you know what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, for God's peace and grace on our lives. But as well that we could reclaim some of this as we talk about people who are walking maybe a particular direction or as we've been talking about, hospitality is a way to show people God's love. So Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would come, and as we've looked into this story, you would open our eyes again, 
Come on the lookout for God. Well, obviously, God, we're here for you. We want to know you and experience you, but I think there's something beautiful and powerful that happens when we're among brothers and sisters that open our lives to each other. And God, I pray for those who may find them in this space. Maybe there's a, a sense of walking away or walking that road to Emmaus as a metaphor. Maybe in this room there's doubts, there's fear. God, I just pray that you would move and work within us. Give us space and patience for each other. And I pray as a church that we would walk alongside those around us. Help us to be immersed in your story. I pray for the next number of months even as a church community that we would go grow deeper in even reflecting back God, your word and what you've spoken and what you're saying now in light of our moment. Help us with that. Pray that your grace would be on this community as we go. That's our prayer. So let's pray this together, this, this prayer together as we close. Lord God, we rejoice in your greatness and power, your gentleness and love, your mercy and justice. Enable us by your spirit to honor you in our thoughts and words and actions and to serve you in every aspect of our lives through Jesus Christ our Lord. And say with me, amen. Amen.